0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well, wherever you may be. Today we hear from Gavin Hay, co-founder of Brighter Pictures and now startup Content Kings, about his new UK indie and how it's aiming to shake up the unscripted space. And Emmanuel Petri-Servin, co-founder of French animation house Dandelou, on the dynamics of dealing with local versus global streaming services. Content Kings is a recently launched UK indie aiming to produce premium factual and low-cost unscripted content for global audiences. The company is the brainchild of Gavin Hay, co-founder of There's Something About Miriam, creator Brighter Pictures, which became part of Endemol, plus former ITV and Warner Brothers exec and author Jonathan Levi and post-production specialist Simon Green, founder of Green Rock. Hay spoke to Ruth Laws about the business, what he sees missing from today's crop of reality shows, the company's partnerships with players like Bossa Nova and its international ambitions. Content Kings is, it's come out of
1: a desire of mine to work back in the the realm of television and to create a new um, indie that's fun, aggressive and full of bright talent. I've been toying with drama and film for a while, but I thought, you know, it'd be nice to go back into television. So I set it up a little bit over a year and a half ago, but it was pretty much dormant because I was concentrating on a visual effects company and I was finishing off a film. And, uh, I just woke up one day and thought, it's time to get this going. I met Jonathan Levi from um, ITV and thought, this is a really good fit. He's a great producer. He's got fantastic ideas. He's incredibly smart. It's time to do something new and different. And um, that's how it sort of came about. Um, It wasn't from a big desire to become a new super indie. You know, I've done all that with Endemol. I like smaller outfits, but I just felt I've still got stuff to give in the realm of TV. And so it was a useful thing to do.
2: Um, And what would you say the main differences are between working in television and film?
1: Well, personally, I do prefer television. It's more, it is more is more immediate, and also I think it's about what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. It's about real people, real emotions, real need for entertainment. Whereas film can be long-winded, it can be more about the money than about what you're delivering. It's not immediate. Television is immediate. You know, current affairs uh, is, is fast. Um, entertainment can be turned around very swiftly. I'm working on a film right now that I imagine we will go into filming next November or December, depending on what happens with the pandemic. Um, it just feels a much more long-winded process and tv is about um, fighting new and fresh battles every day in a way it's like delivery and you're on to the next thing it's much more rapid yeah tv is more immediate it's about immediacy it's about greater reach as well
2: and i also wondered why you've set up content kings now particularly during a third lockdown in the uk
1: <coughs> well did start actually um i think it was in september with jonathan or august so it, it what we've done is started with our two commissions and then announced it to the world that we're there we didn't want to announce what nothing to say although we're still in the position where we can't really tell you much about the projects like what i can tell you we have two crime-based uh, documentaries one for channel five and one for itv they both have incredible subjects one of them is already pretty much in the public domain and other th- films have been made around this uh, subject or the person but this as usual has a unique revelation a unique taste and uh, unexpected content, and it's world exclusive. So both of them have all of those different elements about them. You will see them soon, but the trouble is, because they are so sensitive, we did expect to have them on air by March or April. But I have a feeling that one of them will be transmitted way down the line in November because of the catch-up of the, pand- the pandemic. So the pandemic has caused real problems in delivery, but we still got our delivery date set at the end of uh, March. So we have to do what we have to do and get it done. But I don't know when they're out, and therefore, you know, I- I'm heavily nda would especially with the Channel 5.
2: Um, are you going to focus on, you know, crime-related content, the so particular area of oh, that you're looking to develop?
1: This was a springboard for us because Jonathan, um, he's written a book, a bestseller called... Uh, um, inside raw world, and uh, so he has a real appetite for crime uh, it was a natural fit for him so our relationship with Green Rock which is the third part uh, Simon Green, Simon was working with Mark Williams Thomas, um, an ITV presenter, reporter who used to be a policeman. Um, They got together. uh, They came to us with an idea and we said, "Okay, we will uh, make those programmes with you. Content Kings can be the parent company. And uh, so with with, um, Jonathan's expertise in that, it just happened um, to materialise all at the same point. And we thought, well, look, we'll concentrate on this for the beginning because it's Jonathan's passion. But... Jonathan also has—he's got an incredible uh, credit list on all sorts of genres. You know, from entertainment. I mean, we're interested in global reach. We're interested in reality. We're interested in all sorts of things that Jonathan's got talent in. Or, but I, my history. So it was just that this is this is our stepping off. This is where we have begun.
2: You have touched upon this a little bit, um, but what impact has the pandemic had on production? And I just wondered how you'll go about making shows around COVID and COVID regulations.
1: Well, at the moment, if you're in a production, you are legally allowed to work and continue filming as long as you follow the the government guidelines and the COVID regulations. So the way it's really affected production is that you have to have a COVID expert on board, a consultant. So you have to hire someone different. The insurance is slightly different, but filming can still go on. Now, it makes it a little bit harder because you have to do your health and safety in abundance for COVID. Everyone's got to be aware of what's going on. So you can imagine that has a slowing down of the processes. There's less places for our production teams to stay. So that's an additional problem. There are very few hotels that are open apart from for key workers. So for example, we're filming in We're a Canterbury-based production company. I think that's quite important as well, because nowadays, you know, you need to have an outside London, outside M25 base. And we've chosen Canterbury as our base, and our satellite office will be London rather than the other way around. Um, the pandemic has taught us that we don't need to have that base because everyone's learned to work remotely. So what we'll do is we'll flip it. And so Jonathan walked down to Canterbury two or three times a week, whereas I was commuting up to our office in London before. But the offices have been empty. So it's changed the way we're looking at what we're doing. And with GreenRock, you know, the, the post, which is very important to this group, is, um, again, it's being done remotely. It's, it, that has completely changed the dynamic of work. I think male and females, in our experience here, have had a problem with the pandemic in that the school homeschooling has meant that they're juggling far too much. And that has also had an effect on our production schedule because our editors are ending up teaching their children during the day as trying to work. It's been very, very difficult for them. So we've had to extend the the editing processes and um, that's been tough to juggle that out.
2: I think it's really interesting that you're based in Canterbury. Why did you choose Canterbury and do you think that the TV industry is too concentrated in London?
1: Uh, well as bright pictures as you know we we always had we had Mumbai, we had LA, we had Glasgow, we had London so I'm always a big believer in not being centralised anyway. You know, if you want to be in London you want to meet people there's plenty of places you can but um, the, re- the real reason we're in Canterbury is because I live quite near and I, I've always liked Canterbury and it just seemed a natural home. It's very easy to get to london you can be there in an hour so there was no other reason for canterbury i mean most people want to be west or north but hardly anyone is actually from the southeast, apart from you know. You've got Maidstone Studios, and you may have Ashford Studios coming as well. So from that perspective, we're here in advance of Ashford. Well, the Ashford Studios were due to be built now, weren't they? But obviously, COVID has changed that as well. But we've got Maidstone and Studio at Ashford. A lot of investment is going into those areas, and so not only from a personal perspective, but from a business perspective, it seems like a natural choice. Also, it's to make a stamp, to say there is not a lot in the southeast; it tends to get overlooked because everyone. Feels out of London is north, west, or south. And then there are other people here. You know, there's Bryn Coed, the film production company, or the TV drama company with um, Foz Allen, who did Riviera and things like that. They're based here as well. And he works with Sky and with Netflix on a grand scale. So it's starting to bubble also we're, we're made. So it's like, let's be proud about where we are and make it happen.
2: Cool. Um, and as you mentioned, with Brighter Pictures, you had offices almost all over the world. Are there any places where you hope to launch Content Kings? And where, where do you think are growing territories in terms of the television industry?
1: We're actually uh, looking at the moment at uh, Canada. They have very brave tax credit schemes. They have a very good work ethic. It's somewhere people haven't traditionally gone, maybe films have or drama. So we're looking at that. Because the is is also changing in terms of doing deals, not necessarily with broadcasters, but with uh, streamers or direct with distribution companies. That is changing our outlook. So we're dealing with, uh, at the moment, Bossa Nova, we're talking to Blue Ant Media, and we're looking at what they want and where they are. And they, they, you, know, you don't have to be anywhere particularly to have that involvement, but it would be nice to do something different. You know, everyone goes to LA. We had Brighter Pictures LA for a little period of time as well um, when we worked for Paramount. It's nice to break into territories that people don't know. Canterbury isn't the norm. and Everything that we tend to do, or I tend to do, is not the norm. Brighter Pictures was not the norm. Brighter Pictures was way Ahead and being radical in terms of diversity, we did that naturally. You know, Remy Bloom and, and I were a couple, and I think we just um, didn't fit into any box, so we did it our way. And we took a, on a lot of people, trained them up, and diversity was natural to us, especially being gay men. It was incredibly natural, and I think that's important. So Canada, um, I'd like to think that maybe I could do something in Paris, only because on a personal issue, I'm married to a Frenchman. Somebody contacted me last week from Rio. Now I lived in Rio for six years, so I. Spent fluent Portuguese and I would love to do something in South America so hopefully we can have um, global programming or global production where we could actually do what we did before with brighter set up where it's necessary to do things so um, Rio would be absolutely dreamlike for me Paris would be wonderful Canada is great It, it, it it's Unclear right now where we would go, but it'd be great to sort of grow tentacles where it's useful, rather than where we're dictated. You know, I, I do buck the trend in not being dictated to. I wanted to find our own space and our own time, and I think that gives us a unique approach to television and ideas. Simon's a great entrepreneur. He thinks in a very similar way to me. He wants to question the status quo. And Jonathan is very similar, you know, anything he does is unique and fresh, it's not the same. And I was thinking, you know, obviously I, I made my name and a lot of money out of a reality TV, but the reality TV we did at the time, like um, and there's something about Miriam, there was a reason behind that, there was a, a question mark or there was um, something to open people's eyes or make them think about the world. And Big Brother, you know, you may not think this, but actually at the time, everyone was jaw droppingly shocked about that because it made, it made you question things. today reality programs are quite bland they're quite um, tame Uh, they're more into entertainment world than anything else and we would like to question we'd like to be noisy stand out so I don't know if you remember Miriam but Miriam was a big hit for Sky Uh, there's something about Miriam people have um, varied reactions on this and it's sometimes a hot uh, hot topic especially in the land of um, transgender issues but what it did was opened up discussion about sexuality uh, about homosexuality about trans gender issues and about pre-op and post-op. It was brave TV and um, it wasn't just about body shape and love. And well, is it love? I mean, it's just, I like experimentation. I like to push the boundaries, see what they, what is out there. We don't want to just make the same old thing. So, and talk about collaboration, our partners, uh, Born This Way Media, which is the uh, disability-led TV production company with uh, Max Barber and Samantha Renke. So we're trying to work out programs that work for her as well as for other disabled people and then we've got Squeaky Pedal who are up from um, Huddersfield and and then there's Green Red Media, not to be confused with Green Rock Media, who are completely different as well. So between us, hopefully that, that feeling of collaboration is going to inspire and create some genius this progress beyond the collaboration stage that we're at where obviously with this collaboration we don't really need to have a team of researchers because each unit if you like or each group of each production company does that themselves they talk to us they've got jonathan who can inspire and work with them even Simon can bring in um, from Greenrock, can bring in um, sponsored content programs. And then we're, we're partnering up with Bossa Nova, with Paul Heaney. He's been around forever. He was there in TV before I left and went to Rio and then came back. So the collaboration means that we don't necessarily have that need, but we will have that need in three or four months' time. So we will want to have development producers or development researchers as a team for, to support Jonathan, without a doubt. Uh, but right now we're just finding our feet and we don't want to overload where we are we want to be really careful where our brand starts from we don't want to just scattergun everyone we want to build precisely so we're really out there listening to what's what's required from people
2: um and what are your plans and priorities for the year ahead
1: (laughs) to survive (laughs) i mean health-wise um Uh, Beyond having the jab, um, well, I'm I'm in development of a a movie. Um, The director on board is called Jesse J. Johnson, and uh, he's traditionally an action movie director. He's done 21 films worked with um, uh, Eric Roberts, Julia Roberts' husband, amongst many others. And um, we are talking to Buffalo 8 in LA and uh, Bondit to um, start the process of the Capitol building. And the writer is called Jeff Lyons, and the film is going to be called American Thunderbolt, and it's a lovely movie um, about a boxer who does his final boxing match when he knows he's already going to die. So it's a real story, true story. But that suddenly gained traction, so that should be filming around November, December of this year. We're just trying to work out how much we film in America and how much we film in the UK. Yeah, so that, that came about with a woman I worked on my last movie with. Um, and her name is Rebecca Tranta, and she had something called M4 West Media. And we've created a new company called Content Kings Films, and that will look after the film projects. So Rebecca and I will head that up. And we were, we're, we're right on the cusp. I think we are here today, actually, about a couple of long-running series through this new sort of, for me, it's a new window, because the world changed while I was in Rio. And before I went, you know, distributors sold your product. Now they're actually pre-funding. So it's another channel to go through. So we should hear today whether we have one, one or two of those. So if you have this interview with me again in six months... Uh, we should have great changes. We'll have a whole slew of um, international programming. We are going for global markets. Uh, obviously, we like at home as well. So we have a relationship with a company called Imagine Group, uh, who are in Singapore. So they look after our Asian and um, Australasia formats and discussions. And then in the UK, we have Bossa Nova and uh, Stateside, we're talking to, as I said, Blue own So it's it's all happening very rapidly. So you've come in right at the beginning.
2: What do you think the main challenges will be for the tea? industry in 2021?
1: To keep relevant um, and to keep challenging because without being rude to the channels, they need to engage an audience in a unique and fresh way. And that's the way they'll keep people coming back. Um, They need to be brave. And I think to do that while their budgets are shrinking is quite threatening. But at the same time, I think that's the solution to a lot of their problems. They need to be braver, more out there and engaging in their audience in a challenging way, an intelligent way, not to underestimate the audience. I don't want it to sound as though I'm dissing them, but at the same time, I would like, i tell you what I would say, is I would like to provide them with things that challenge, that inspire, that raise the bar I think we naturally when you've got the streamers coming in and everyone's wondering how that all that is working you do go to a level of safety especially as your, your, your advertising revenues are going down but I think you need, you know at one point you've got to go let's try something new and different and brave and people do want to be inspired i know it's a really hard time with the pandemic as well but maybe this is the the turnaround point you said why did we set up again and why you know Remy and I set up our first TV company in the downturn the um last recession the major recession because we had nothing to lose and again, we have nothing to lose by setting up now.
0: Gavin Hay from Content Kings. Dandelou is a French animation producer distributor founded by Emmanuel Petry Servin and Jean Baptiste Verri alongside Studio Oula La. The company's slate includes kids TV series like Stinky Dog, originally commissioned for France Television, and The Upside Down River for Canal Plus. Petri Servin spoke to Ruth Laws about the importance of local and niche kids SVODs and the differences between working with these and global players like Netflix.
3: Personally, I've been around for over 30 years. I was thinking about that yesterday, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I started at Nirvana, uh for 17 years and worked with milimage and with Two Minutes. and Anyway, but I, I met with Jean-Baptiste, my partner, 2010. It was a really good turn in my life because I really wanted to get back much, much closer to the content uh, and develop shows that were meaningful for me. And um, when we started the company, we were only going to develop and produce. And I figured we suddenly realized that having all the relationships with broadcasters around the world, it made sense to keep our own distribution as well. So I started a team there and now we're four in distribution. So I develop shows very, very early with an idea, with writers and designers, etc. and I sculpt the project as much as I can. And then it goes into production with Jean-Baptiste who, who knows very well how to make a show and it goes through our own studio which is based in Valence, in La Cartoucherie, called Oulala. And at the same time with a distribution team we make pre-sales and because we're in contact with the broadcasters all the time we know what to make or what not to make or things to take into account which makes it you know all around basically we go around the whole the whole system from from the idea all the way up to the screen two or three or five years later which is very satisfying because uh, you can have the whole the whole thing we're about 10 people in the Paris office all scattered right now Melissa's in Barcelona so we have a really good team a good team of nice people to me it's very very important that people are nice first of all experience is good <laughs> and diplomas are okay but it's really about the personality that counts the most, in my opinion. So that's it in a nutshell.
2: What does the rise of local SVOD platforms mean for the world of distribution?
3: Well, obviously this did not exist in my early days. Um, you had the linear channels and that was it. Basically in France, you had three channels and you know, one public broadcaster in each country. Now it's it's actually fascinating uh, to see the, the, the rise of all these smaller SVOD platforms. I'm talking about kids only, right? Because that's what I... That's what I do most of the time. But just in France, I didn't count, but I, I pull out a list and I have like 15 different uh, opportunities. But what's there are two things. There There's the the SVOD platforms that are coming out of nowhere, like with a new name and, and et cetera, that are just endeavors. Like if you take Azumi in the UK, Azumi uh, is is a private company from a, uh, like a couple who just decided to make that as a business. So that's coming out of nowhere. And then you have the ones that have been existing as smaller entities like Bayard in France. They were their publishing company, huge publishing company. They have books and magazines and they started as a game, like as as a pay service. And it evolved into an ESWOT platform. Then, of course, you have all the broadcasters, the TF1 and uh, France Television, creating their own. what backed up, like you have Oku with France Television or, or TFU Max with the TF1. So they're di- they all come from different places. But at the end of the day, you have all these new players. And the good, the good news is that they're all non exclusive. So we can sell to all of them at the same time. And the bad news is that the license fees are extremely low compared to the big ones, to the Netflix and Amazons and HBO Max. So basically, it's created a huge gap between, you know, it's like 100 times more pricely. I don't know what the word would be more expensive on these channels. They, they pay huge license fees because usually it's pan and, and they have much, much larger pockets or deeper pockets. And the smaller ones, the Azumi and Hopster and uh, and Benchy are very, very careful in their business model. Some of them actually come up. I won't say the name, but there's one based in Sweden. And uh, basically, uh, and he's not the only one asking for all of our programs for free and saying, oh, but, you know, we're very, very small and we have little money. And, you know, once we grow, we will share with you. And I I become so cross because I I pick up the call and I have a meeting and I said, how can you possibly ask us to take the risk on your business? Because we have been producing these shows, which cost millions of euros. You know, we've been developing it, taking the time, being extremely demanding on the writers. We pay all these people, the writers, the designers, the animators, everything else. And then you're asking us to give you the show for free and throw it out there and see if it works and eventually you know maybe we'll get some some drops of money and i said how can you do that and say oh but you have to understand we're very small say yeah no i don't want to understand because it's just not fair come back with at least a symbolic minimum guarantee and i and i'm i'm a cool person so i say it could be symbolic you know it could be like a thousand euros for five shows so oh no we can't do that i'll say well go away because uh basically you're going to be starting your business on our own um, catalog in our own programs and um, it doesn't work that way. But you have the whole spectrum. You have ones that are respectful and, and and scrape the barrel to get some money up front. So that's cool. The one that I like the most out of the French ones is called Benshi, B E N S. H-I. I don't know if you know them. They started actually as a magazine giving critics about cinema for children, saying, you know, writing articles for parents about which films were nice. And basically their business has evolved. They still keep that critical part. Well, they analyze and evaluate films for which age, etc. And now they have become a platform and they only show the best, best of animation. So it's feature films, but it's also half hour specials. It's short films and they do it by age. It's very well done. And every month they ref- refresh it so it's like a boutique platform so basically as a mother or as a a parent uh, you can show the excellence of animation to your kids so when Netflix is very commercial and it's only looking for brands which is okay, obviously, these guys are on the opposite of the spectrum and they're looking for the finest of animation it could be coming from Albania or wherever, they, you know, it can, can be any kind of the part of the world but they will basically bring it to the next level, they will only show the best to kids and they also show interestingly enough, they show uh, live action and they, for example, they show the Charlie Chaplin films in black and white, so it's it's an education to image for kids and parents and families, which is really, really nice. And I recommend that uh, platform to all the young parents because uh, it's it's a it's a true alternative to to public TV to commercial feeds etc. So we'll see. I mean, they they keep on growing a little bit every year. They pay more money, and they are thinking about going to the U.S. And that's also the other interesting part about all these uh, endeavors in these um, platforms is they're really looking out on where the next country where they will go. For example, uh, uh, well, you know that Azumi and Hopster. Have merged unfortunately for us because it used to be two clients and it's only now one. So that's not very good but they're investigating country by country where it makes sense and they launching in South Africa which is interesting in Africa and then Hopster Hopster is a bit the equivalent of benchy they really show excellence but they're more commercial and Hopster has been looking at Eastern Europe and um, I was happy to hear for example that they're looking into Bulgaria because in Bulgaria there is no programs for kids so it really makes a lot of sense to launch something there. And then there's another one in the US that I like called Kidstream. He also has a small platform in the US with about 20,000 subscribers. So again, he pays very, very little money compared to the other American deals, but he pays something and promotes it and makes a real launch. And he is now taking the rights for India, which is interesting, except in India, there are many, many kids programming, but they're really not good quality. And they're also um, acquiring the rights for Nigeria, thinking that in Africa, that's probably the number one country where there is money for. Parents who want to to subscribe to um, to the finest programs. So it's it's re- very very interesting on a cultural level, on an ed- educational level, on what's happening right now. Because the Netflix and other ones are really looking for brands and smaller companies like us, besides Ernest and Sidestine and some others, where you know we're not in the brands business or field. So it's a mosaic. It's much more work for us because uh, many 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 deals that are very little money, obviously little streams become rivers. So, but it's it's far more work because it, it multiplies the number of contracts, of deliveries, of, you know, everything else. But it's it's the best way for us to have our program seen by as many kids as possible. Do you actually get more reach by doing lots and lots of different
2: deals? Please? I don't know if
3: more reach because obviously Netflix is so successful that it reaches, a you know, millions of kids and you're never going to be able to have that with the small ones. But the nice thing too is most of them also are looking for edutainment after the COVID uh, chaos. A lot of the parents are happy to subscribe to these channels because, you know, they can learn about astronomy, about dancing, about all these, uh, you know, at home activities. So that's cool. And I don't think Netflix is really interested in edutainment. And and they basically want just to entertain the kids, which is fine too, right? But these are complementary to each other. So in a a way, they're not necessarily competing. Well, Netflix does ask for exclusivity. So it's it's a bit either one or the other. I think Netflix, it's kind of silly when you think about it, because Netflix would not be hurt by these very small platforms. But it's part of the game. You know, they pay a lot of money, So I guess they're in the rights to to be more demanding. We have two or three projects in development that we're discussing with them right now. uh, They want to have bankable, you know, names or based on a book or already like a pre-existing success. What's a bit scary, and I'm going through that right now, is they want uh, the development to be extremely packed with action. Basically, they want the Casa de Papel for kids. They call it stickiness, you know, they want it to be sticky. So basically, when you start a series, you cannot get off. Basically, the goal is to binge watch and have more and more people subscribe, which is fine. It's their model. It works. What scares me a bit is that what does it mean for kids? It means that they are going to be glued to the screen and there will be less space for breathing, for dreaming, for taking your time to get into a story. Everything is speeding up so much that what does it leave to their brain for imagination? I'm talking here as a mom or on an intellectual point of view. I think kids still need to have programs that are slow, that are not slow. seems pejorative, but you know what I mean? Just take take a good rhythm and, and have a program that are respectful of their own rhythm and, and that's what scares me a bit about Netflix and their demands it has to be so sticky and so to me it's it's a bit um, it's a reflection of what's going on in life right now everything has to be fast 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 and it might become at some point you know the the, the McDonald's of, of TV we all know that McDonald's works because it's it's uh, sugar and fat and you know it, it's immediate satisfaction but you cannot live on McDonald's right and it, I'm, a, I'm a bit afraid that it might be the same it's like if you have only netflix um sugar and, and fat you're just gonna get sick and this is obviously my it's just my pure feeling about it it's not very business uh, when i'm saying this to you but it, that's why it's so important to have these other as platforms that balance it out do you think the, uh, local SWOTs would ever go into making their own content i hope so for now they seem to be very poor but i hope so yeah that's that's the, the best i can i can wish for them is that they would become profitable enough to invest into local shows and you probably know because the um uh, the law is changing in Europe. It's called the law SMA. And uh, it basically, uh, it will oblige the European, um, well, what we call the GAFAs, uh, the Netflix and Amazon and Disney and Cartoon Network, the, the majors, to invest 20 to 25 percent of their turnover into original programming. So that's going to be a major change. They will have to invest in original programming. So we'll see what they choose, of course. And that gives also a nice parameter of business for the for the SVODs to grow because they are low Local and, and they will be investing slowly into that. So maybe at some point. So yeah, eventually the Netflixes and others will have to invest into local and the, the small SVODs will become more successful and profitable invest. So eventually it might come closer. And probably some of them will die on the way because I'm not sure all of them will be able to sustain their business. They're all popping from everywhere, but uh, I suppose there will be some merges and some of them will be left on the side. What's going to become key is who owns the languages, basically. Outside, I'm talking outside of the Brit- the English language, uh, language track because uh, if you have German language and you own it as you know it's very very expensive to um, to dub in Swedish and Icelandic I've been getting requests just because we have some languages such as um, Danish or Swedish and then that opens the doors to the local platforms and Germany is a very good example we have some German tracks and then now we're starting to do business with companies that I have never heard of so I think that the, the, the assets of a company now is how many languages do you own and that you can exploit and that will be um, the key for for distribution. The
2: other thing I wanted to ask was, um, what do you think the impact is of major studios withdrawing their programming from the market in order to feed their own streamers, and what
3: challenges and opportunities do you think this creates? Well, the 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 threat is um, again, we're calling them the Netflix as a pro, right? But basically, they come in and want to take over your IP. So it's a good it's a good business because they pay for everything, and you have nice juicy executive producers fees and a studio can live on it for two years and the whole staff etc but basically they're taking away the ip in one property that I was developing was stolen away from me. Um, They actually um, signed the underlying rights with the publisher. So they actually own the adaptation rights directly from the publisher. And they asked the producer to make the show, but uh, Netflix owns a hundred percent of it. So not only don't, you don't have distribution rights, but you don't have anything. You're just basically a servicing company, whereas you have been developing it yourself. To me, that's, that's problematic because they are sweeping away or swiping away. They're just taking over. Basically, and it's 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 on a cultural point of view or ethical point of view, it's a bit scary. And I think in, in in France, we're trying to make beautiful shows first. I mean, it's the goal of our company. We want to make beautiful shows first and earn our living, right, and and be profitable. But it's not the number one goal to make to make money. It's it's a, it's a wonderful time because uh, all these doors are opening, and it's, it's it's still in this kind of bubbling era. So. Um, The good thing is that we've been around for 10 years so we're not new starters i think it would be much more difficult for young small companies emerging in this ocean of programming and 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 platforms but um, it's now there are lots of opportunities and i I keep on believing that we have to make the best shows and not try to seduce you know not try to make something with the ingredients when i was at nirvana we used to have seminars on how to make a hit you know with a little bit of this a little bit of that it never worked of course because a hit comes from who knows where it comes from but uh, continue to believe in making beautiful shows that would be my 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 true belief and then we'll see.
0: (laughs) Emmanuel Petri servin from Dandelu. That's all for this episode there'll be more from the podcast tomorrow but in the meantime stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news by following C21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale thanks for listening.